With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you back to a brand new edition of Between the Links. We are back after a week hiatus. Last week was insane. We were all over the place covering different events. I was in Tampa. We had the Bellator open workouts and media days with AJ McKee and Patricio Pitbull. Casey was out there for that. So we just couldn't get a show together. It just wasn't possible. This week is crazy as well. But we couldn't skip out two weeks in a row. We just couldn't do it. But we're back with a lot to discuss. Let's get right into this thing. Let us introduce the combatants first. The illustrious return of the winningest player in BTL history. The man with the fiery hot takes. The man who still has us pondering what would happen if Israel Adesanya fought Habib Nurmagomedov. Let us say hello once again to Mr. Jen Mishu. How are you, my friend? Habib would beat that ass. That's what would happen. Uh... (laughs) I think we can all agree that's just that's the outcome that would that would occur and it'd be lovely. I'm great. I I've taken some time off, got re-energized. You know, I was, I was feeling a little lackluster with my BTL game. It's hard. It's hard to come in day in day out and care when you're this dominant when you put up this many W's on the board. But a couple of weeks to get my head right. I'm in the right space to come out here and, and put on a great performance. I'm here for the fans, Mike. For the fans. And that's what the show is all about. It's for the people. And back on the program this week after defeating Alex Kaylee on his freaking birthday, no less, the icy cold-blooded journalist himself. You see his work on <laughs> his own site, UFC.com, and much more. Mr. E. Spencer Kite, back on the show. Hello, kind sir. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm happy to be here taking out the winningest player in the history of this illustrious program. I look forward to going 2-0. And knocking Jed, giving giving Jed another loss, another tick in that loss column. Wow, look at that. We're already getting after it. Go ahead, Jed, say something. I mean, losses just 
they're just off my back like water off a duck, you know? Like, <laughs> look, I'm a home run hitter. Who's got the most strikeouts in Major League history? It's Babe Ruth. I don't know if that fact is true or not, but we're going to pretend it is because I'm here to swing away, baby. All right. Now, real quick, I know, I know you're asking, for the, especially those who watched the A-side yesterday, where's the triple threat match? Sometimes in life, things come up. You got to pivot. AK had something come up last minute. He couldn't make it. He apologizes for that, and he has promised he'll be ready to go next time. He wants the triple threat match to happen, and we will make that happen. But we got the two of you guys here. Let's talk some MMA. Let's begin with this past Saturday, UFC Vegas 32, a very entertaining event. I caught up like a couple days later after my slumber from covering BKFC 19, but it was a fantastic main event. We had big finishes, whole bunch of judging controversy to boot. But in the end, TJ Dillashaw returns after his USADA suspension. He gets a split decision win over Corey Sanhagen. A lot of folks not happy with the decision here. So let me start with you, Spencer Kite. It seems like there were much more things we can define as robberies on this card, much more egregious scorecards on Saturday. Was Corey Sanhagen robbed? Like, are, are we comfortable saying this was a robbery on Saturday? I'm certainly not comfortable saying it was a robbery. Someone with spicy hot takes like Jed might, but I'm not. It was a close fight. It was a it was a typical close fight where we need to come away from it and understand close fights happen. Um, I've watched it back a couple of times. I wrote a piece about the rewatch and, and sort of rounds four and five, which became the deciding rounds. And even those two rounds in and of themselves are super tight. They're, they're, narrow, they're narrow frames. If you look at the punch stat numbers, even the numbers are close. And so to think this is a robbery is crazy. I disagreed with the decision, but it's not one of those instances where you can, you can reasonably sit there and say Corey Sandhagen got robbed. I love the way that he's handled it, coming out and saying, I have to take responsibility for this not take my foot off the gas, keep getting after it and, and not kind of coast a little bit. But I mean, it was just a, a super close fight and a terrific fight at that. Jed, I spoke with Dean Thomas on Tuesday for what the heck, and he didn't call this a robbery. He said that he came away thinking Corey Sanhagen was the better fighter, but TJ Dillashaw just played the game better than Corey Sanhagen did. So with that being said, and just your overall view of the fight itself, can we use the word robbery here? Was this a robbery on Saturday? What a dumb freaking sport, man. But like a guy who – Dean Thomas knows a lot about MMA, like a very knowledgeable person, both as a fighter, as a coach. And for him to just be like, yeah, one of these people is better than the other, but that's not how the game works. It's just like it's super dumb that that's the sport we can have it. We're like – that's a world that can exist. Ostensibly, the idea is to find out who the better fighter is. And we did, but that fighter is not the winner. What's going on, man? Uh, I, I've taken a journey on this. So I watched this Saturday night um, with a lot of friends and many beverages. And at the time, I believed that that was a robbery. Uh, watching it in real time, it seemed extremely evident to me that Corey Sandhagen won at least three rounds, arguably four. More to the point, he just beat the bricks just right on off TJ Dillashaw for the balance of the fight. Uh, I sort of assumed that everybody thought the same, but I have since come to find that some people think TJ Dillashaw won. And I rewatched it, and I can at least see the case. I don't think that they're right. Uh, I think by any metric that should matter, Corey Sandhagen should have won that fight. But given the fact that 
We exist in a sport that's very dumb. Uh, rules and scoring are nebulous concepts at best, as opposed to like set in stone properties. Uh, I, I can at least understand the other side of things. And so it's probably not a robbery just because that fight was pretty close. I still, though, come down ultimately on the side of anytime a bad decision is rendered, it's a robbery. Like, it doesn't have to be a close fight or not because we've talked about it a lot. Everybody, Jake Paul has banging the drum, you know, all this stuff. Hey, uh, what did Corey Sanhagen get a win bonus? He did not. He should have gotten a win bonus because in most people's estimation, he should have won that fight. And so that was taken from him by three people who were wrong. And so... I think you can call it a robbery. I'm not here to tell you no. I get why people are, are hesitant not to. But, look, it's 2021, man. You got to stand, stand your ground. Stand for something. Just say it from the chest, baby. That's a robbery. Corey Sanhagen, second best band away in the world, behind my man Rob Font. That's where it's at. <laughs> I mean, be that as it may, no matter how you scored it, Dillashaw comes back. He wins. Got a bit banged up with the knee, the cut near the eye. But, let me let me ask you this, Jed. Were for a guy that hadn't fought since January of 2019, the USADA suspension, etc. Were you impressed with TJ Dillashaw in his first fight in over two years? Dude, he looked unbelievable. <laughs> like he's if you were impressed by TJ Dillashaw, you are a stone cold hater, man. Like that dude was off for two plus years. The game, like outside of him just being off for that amount of time, a lot of that time he was rehabbing injuries and stuff, like the ring rust factor, take that away because opinions vary. Like the game has developed super, like super aggressively over that time that he's been gone. And frankly, somebody said this beforehand, and it actually may have even been Dillashaw. I think Sandhagen is like the worst style matchup for him in the division. And that's the dude he came back to. And whether you agree with the decision or not, he technically got a win over him for my money, like the hardest fight for him. I think he can absolutely be competitive with anybody else in the division and maybe actually get that title back. Like stone cold, super impressive. The fact I thought he was done after the second round, man, like he was getting lit up and he not only did he weather the storm and survive to the final bell, he on Two judges' scorecards won two of the rounds after that round where he got his ass beat. Hell impressive performance from TJ Dillashaw. And you just can't hate the man unless you are a stone-cold hater. Spencer, what's say you? Because Uri Faber did a, did an interview with our friends stone at Submission Radio. And yes, Uriah, you know, <laughs> yes. listen, listen, Uriah, there's no love loss between those two guys and they're, you know, those two are never going to be sharing a family dinner anytime soon. But Uriah did compliment his championship mentality, thought that was the biggest difference in the fight. But one thing Uriah did say was TJ's the same guy, like he's the same fighter, very talented championship mentality, mindset, etc. But he hasn't really evolved since he was suspended. What did you think of TJ's performance? Like, did you think like we saw an actual, like a better guy? I mean, I know he had some injuries in the knee and all that stuff. And that kind of hampered him a little bit. He still won and still fought his ass off, but was he better? Like, is this a better version than the guy we saw two, two and a half years ago? I don't know that it was a better version, but does it need to be? I mean, the guy that left two years ago was, was the best bantamweight in the world and, and proved that point emphatically in a pair of fights over, Oh yeah. One of Faber's, one of Faber's guys, a guy that replaced TJ as one of Faber's guys. And so to, to sit there and say, well, he hasn't evolved. Sure. How many, how many guys do you know 
that drastically change their game when they're 33, 34, 35 years old. The fact that he came back and looked as good as he did against, as Jed said, a world-class fighter in Corey Sanhagen, a guy that we all agreed is very much in this title conversation and a difficult matchup for anybody in the top five and the champion, whoever you want to distinguish that as, says a lot about who TJ Dillashaw is and, and where he fits in this division. I know there were a lot of people that expected him to get blown out and we're looking forward to seeing him get blown out and hoping that this was the night that he goes out and Corey Sanhagen just trounces him and TJ looks washed and we can, and everybody can just kind of move on from him being a contender. He showed last Saturday that he's very much in the thick of this. And you have to think after more than two years off, he does that. What's he going to look like now that he's not shaken out two years of time on the sideline. Now that he's, you know, gotten back in there and found the rhythm again, he's going to have to take some time here with the knee injury, but we have a chance. Like he really does have a chance to go through and, and fulfill the, the mission he's on of becoming a three-time world champion and joining Randy Couture as, as the only other, the only two people to accomplish that in the UFC. Now, Spencer, we don't know, like you said, the extent of the injury, said he's having surgery, plans to be back quick, but nobody knows exactly what quick means. I mean, quick could be less, it could be a year for any injury. I mean, that's that's pretty damn quick. 135-pound division is just, it's so good. It's so loaded. And while Dillashaw is a nice addition to have in the mix, he's not the only guy in the mix. So when he's good to go, Spencer, is this title shot right away or does does he need one more because of the controversy surrounding this fight? So I'm going to do you one better than saying it's so good. It is the best division in the UFC. I know Casey, our judge, agrees with that fact and has been stumping for that for a while. I agree with him. It is the best. And, and to me, it's title shot. Now, of course, timelines dictate everything. We have to see where everything is at. But you don't go out and, and beat Corey Sandhagen and have to do something else. There's nothing else for him to prove right now. He's a two-time former champion. He just came back off two and a half years off and got a victory over the guy we all acknowledged as the number one contender. You get the next title shot. If things don't line up, there are certainly other matchups that are out there. There are some other fights that I would love to see that make sense that you sort of figure out and work through, including potentially a fight with the winner of, of next week's Jose Aldo Pedro Munoz fight would be terrific. Jed's guy Rob Font is out there. We got to see what he's up to. But I think you beat Corey Sanhagen like that. You have that performance. It's a title shot. And if that happens within sort of the first three or four months of 2022, that makes sense to me. What do you think, Jed? Do, do you agree with that sentiment? I mean, we got Sterling versus Jan that's targeted for October 30th. I don't believe Penn has gone to paper yet, but that's what everybody's talking about. Are you giving the, sh the, the shot to the man, in your opinion, that is the best bantamweight in the world, Rob Font, right now? Like, does Rob Font get the winner of that fight? Or do you maybe have Font and Dillashaw fight each other? Does Dillashaw just get the winner of Jan versus Sterling? Because if Jan wins, you know they're going to try to run a third fight back. So... How do you see this all sort of shaping out? How would you do it? I'm not going to lie. I did not pay attention to one thing that Spencer said after he said that Bantamweight was the best division because <laughs> it's just categorically wrong. Like, I didn't realize that 155 pounds had fallen off the face of the earth, and I had to do quick Googling to see if the UFC had, had let that division go again. 
but they haven't. And so it's, it's still the best division. It, it's been the best division since it came back and it will be the best division in perpetuity. So I, I got a little distracted. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> as far as what we do next here, uh, it's it seems pretty obvious to me. I don't if if Jan wins, I don't think they're doing a trilogy fight with Sterling because Sterling's win again. I think Sterling's win hundred percent legit. I have been calling Aljo the bantamweight champ. I don't think he should. I think he should refuse to fight Peter Jan actually, <laughs> but and he should make Jan because look at Jan's resume. I'm about to go off on so many tangents, Mike. Jan's resume <laughs> dog shit. Like, he's got the Aldo win is the only, like, actual good Bantamweight win that he has. And if you take away that, because I love Aldo more than most people, well, let's be honest, he's probably not really, like, a top five guy. Uh, it's – Jan's resume doesn't deserve a title fight. And if you look at him and say he legitimately lost that fight to Sterling, which he did, he did a super, super stupid illegal thing, and so he lost by merit of that, then he doesn't deserve a title shot. But they're going to run it back, whatever. If Jan wins, the UFC's not going to run that trilogy back. They're going to let that simmer because – of the circumstances of the first one. And so then that's, that's super clean and easy. TJ is going to get the winner of Jan Sterling. It sucks that the best band of weight in the world, Rob Font is going to have to sit on his ass for a little while, but maybe he goes and fights Corey Sanhagen puts the wood to Sanhagen because that fight would be fun as hell. Like, I don't care that that is maybe not great from a contendership standpoint. That's just going to be awesome. Uh, and it'll let Rob Font really stake his name in the sand, like 100%, this is me, whereas, I mean, you could give him a title fight now, especially if, if TJ's rehab takes a little longer or what have you, but coming off that win over a guy who can't ever win fights in Cody Garbrandt, like, just Rob Font probably needs something a little more marquee, a little more, you know, headline event or, like, co-main to Aljo Sterling, something like that. So, however it shakes out, I, I think – I think TJ's getting the next title fight, and he should. Dude never lost his belt. He might be the best fan away in the world, not named Rob Font. <laughs> well, we still shall see what happens. Corey, I mean, TJ looked tremendous. Corey Sandhagen is just so, so good, and he's only going to get better. And it was a, a fun event on Saturday. There's another big one this past Friday night as well. That's where we're going next. But the point for round one goes to... Mr. Spencer Kite. He is on the board. It is one to nothing. Good stuff, gentlemen. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in New York call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas 21 and over age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario one no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Uh, this, this is, is exactly the... Because I don't have shit to say about this. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe, maybe Spencer doesn't have anything to say about this either. But uh, let us discuss BKFC. Let's, let's discuss BKFC 19 because if Spencer has nothing to say about it, this is going to be a great round. I was there for the whole shebang on Fight Week in Tampa. Great time covering it. BKFC was amazing all week. The fight card on Friday was absolutely chaotic. So much happened. It was a... It was a memorable experience, no doubt about that. But it was capped off with the second meeting between Paige Van Zant and Rachel Ostevich, PVZ's second BKFC appearance. Ostevich is first. These two ladies threw down. Ostevich gets the win. She looked great in the fight. She looked super comfortable in that setting, without a doubt, which surprised a lot of people, myself included. So, Jed, we'll begin with you. I mean... What, what, what stood out to you at all? Like, did you even watch clips, anything? Did anything stand out to you in this fight? Uh, oh, in this fight? No, but what did stand out is I'm, I'm on our website right now. Uh, um, and we, and whoever wrote this, I'm sorry to be blowing you up right now, but we said that Jared Warden, Warden was uh, given knockout of the night for a brutal finish of Zion Williamson. And it, this is Zion Tomlinson. <laughs> Zion Williamson plays basketball for the Pelicans. And that's why I was like, wait a second, what? Um, <laughs> as far as this fight, I saw, uh, I did not watch it live. Uh, I saw some highlights. Uh, I just honest, I, this had little to no interest for me. If it's your thing, cool. I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. And I know a lot of people are super interested in it. It's an event that I would really like to go to, like, personally, because I'm sure and talk to me briefly. I know that you had a, a great time uh and that it's like a pretty fun live scene but the main event was like the least interesting fight to me the other ones were at least something that i kind of cared about Paige van zandt and rachel uh, ostovich just aren't i mean it's bare knuckle so i guess it's maybe they are relevant but they're not relevant to me uh in my view of fight sport because they're not like super good at it uh they're both really tough and i don't think they get enough credit for that like because they are traditionally pretty or however you want to put it um but they're both like really tough women uh and from the highlights i could see it seemed like that was on display as as is want to happen in a bare knuckle fight but uh neither of them are going to be like winning belts soon or really mattering in like a substantial way as far as being the best in their sport and their division and so it, it just kind of 
little whatever to me. And selling the whole thing was odd. Like selling this as a, a rematch and revenge is it was an MMA fight. This, this is a very different fight. I, I pretty like I'm like 99% sure that Paige tapped Ostovich anyway. So like you can't really get to get revenge for being submitted by having a bare knuckle fight where submissions aren't a thing. Like it's, it's just a totally different thing. And so, yeah, again, not for me. If it's for you, I'm not here to yuck your yum, man. I hope you had a wonderful Friday night. I hope you tuned in to all of Mike Heck's wonderful coverage, but just not my bag. You know what, Jed? I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm an honest guy. I'm full of integrity. I'm the guy who wrote Zion Williamson, and I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. It's awesome. It I is. want to live there forever. Because <laughs> I was reading over, I was like, does this guy really have the same name? I can't believe I did I that. Like, no, it's Zion Tomlinson. Oh, I was like, man, that is going to be – that is awesome. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. What an idiot. I mean, it is – <laughs> It I is NBA Spencer, but I got a W over my <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. It's NBA draft week. Maybe I was distracted. I don't know. Maybe it's just the clouds in my brain. What an idiot. Anyways, uh Spencer, what do you think? Did, did did you watch it? Did you uh did you read about it? Did you read about Zion Williamson getting brutally knocked <laughs> out? Like what happened? I I hope that it hyperlinks to actual like Zion information elsewhere on on SB Nation. Like it just goes to his stats page and everything that would be terrific i didn't oh watch it God. live i i obviously saw highlights because you know i exist on twitter like everybody else i agree with jed that you can't really call it a rematch because some of the rules are all the rules are different the way that Paige van zandt won the first time is not even on the table anymore um i was impressed though i mean i was one of those people that thought well rachel ostovich has never really been much of much of a boxer yeah she throws hands a little bit but her thing is her best area in mixed martial arts has always been grappling and to go out there and piece up Paige Van Zandt from everything I saw everybody everybody was convinced outside of Paige in her corner that this was a clear victory for Rachel Ostovich I always enjoy seeing people storm out of cages and rings and what have you when they lose and they're just flabbergasted it is one of my favorite things on any fight night to just predict seeing and then see the person that is just completely aghast that things didn't go their way on the scorecards when there's nothing that should lead them to believe that it's going to go their way. And so for me, this is, it's weird that Paige is 0-2 now just because such a big deal was made of it. She's kind of this person that they wanted to build things around. But the beauty of this fight is that whoever won, you could still go forward with. And so now they have Rachel Osevich. I know she's only one to know. I know, as Jed said, we're not talking about like world championship caliber boxers here, but we're talking about BKFC. And I don't think we're looking for world championship caliber boxers. We're looking for people that can be on the main event or the main card of their next show or the show after that and draw in some eyeballs. And Rachel Osevich is that person. Whether we like it or not, whether it's for her skills in the ring or not, she is one of those people and she is going to fight Britton Hart or Beck Rawlings now that Beck is back in the mix. And people are going to tune in the same way they tuned into this. So you, you sort of alluded to it, Spencer. Page made big waves signing with BKFC, multi-fight, multi-million dollar deal. They they emptied the checkbook for her. She's now 0-2. She's lost two <laughs> fights. But, I mean, she, she didn't get run over in either of these fights. 
She didn't get stopped in any of these fights. She didn't get knocked out. She lost two at least somewhat competitive fights. And she did show improvements between the loss to Britton Hart and now the loss to Rachel Ostovich. And I feel like there's potential there because the first fight with Britton Hart, we saw Paige Van Zandt, the MMA fighter, trying to be a bare knuckle fighter. And then in this fight, we saw Paige fully go all in on boxing. But we just need, if she can find that middle ground between the two, I, I think she could find some success. So I'm curious, like, where she goes from here. Like, do you think... I mean, and this is nothing. I mean, BKFC, whatever. You you know Paige. We've seen her throughout her UFC run. Do you think she sticks around and like gives this another go, or do you feel like she moves on from the bare knuckle realm? I mean, to me, where else does she go? Like, this is one of those you mentioned earlier that it's NBA draft night. It's draft week. This kind of feels like the Ben Simmons thing of like your stock has never been kind of lower. Like it was a big deal when you exited the UFC and were free agent and everybody wanted to see where you were going gonna go because it's a hot property and now you're 0 and 2 and so I think she just has to stick around like she has to get back out there in a couple of events and face somebody whether it's a newcomer to to the organization whether it's Jenny Savage who fought Britton Hart last week and got knocked out it's got to be something because BKFC is probably thinking, man, we need a little bit more return on this investment right now. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people lining up to hustle Paige into another combat sports arena when she's 0-2 in her last, in these bare knuckle fights. She lost her last UFC event. And she, as Jed said earlier, was never really a world-class fighter in MMA. And so, yes, she's a name. Yes, she's a draw. But to me, BKFC is the only place for her right now because the stock is so low that, you know, there aren't, there aren't going to be a lot of people offering top dollar right now. I don't think. What do you think, Jed? I mean, she obviously with her contract and her name and stuff like that, like, you know, I'm sure if she took an MMA fight, BKFC would, would let her go and, and take said MMA fight. So do you think her next fight will be in the BKFC ring or maybe we see her in Bellator? Like what, what, what do you think happens next? I could not disagree more with Spencer. <laughs> like <laughs> just the exact opposite of everything he said. <laughs> like one, if, if you, you could lose a hundred fights in BKFC. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody, nobody has any idea that she lost. <laughs> like, no one cares that she lost. Two, there's actually probably some argument that losing in a bare knuckle boxing fight is like better because it was always baffling to me that she went there anyway. She wasn't a good boxer. Like Spencer started by saying, you know, uh, Rich Ostovich, not a great striker. It's not like she pieced up Floyd Mayweather. Paige sucked on the feet. She was tough. She just kind of hard-nosed and played like clinch games and could grapple a little bit. But really what Paige did was she was tough and kind of athletic. She was super bad at boxing. That's why it was shocking to me that she went to bare knuckle. <laughs> I I guess they opened the bag for her. That's great. Get that bag, girl. Because you if you don't like Paige Van Zandt, you're kind of dumb. She seems awesome. Like she's just personality-wise, seems like really cool and understands where she is and what she's doing. But you can't deny that she's playing her career perfectly. Like she's maximizing her value everywhere she goes. And she said it a bunch. Like she doesn't have to fight. She make more money doing anything else other than fighting. <laughs> she fights because she wants to. 
So maybe she comes back to bare knuckle because this is the kind of fighting that she's interested in competing in. Or maybe she just wants to get one win in the organization and move on. But like, if she dropped and was like, hey, I want to go back to MMA, Scott Coker would call her up before she was done with the <laughs> press release. Like, hey, we don't have a strawweight division. We do have a flyweight division that, the let's be clear, the top women are going to beat the crap out of you. But after our, like, front five, we don't have anybody that anybody cares one whit about, and you would be a tremendous addition to that. <laughs> like, you take her instantaneously. And if she wants to go there and it, the money's right and, you know, the – I think she can make a lot of money in Bellator because she, like I said, she's she's been open about she can make a lot more money sponsorships doing other things. We know that Bellator doesn't have the restrictive sponsorship deals that the UFC does. Like I think she can go to Bellator, get paid a bundle by Scott Coker just flat out, and then make a ton in sponsorships and bring a lot of eyeballs, bring a lot of relevance to them. Again, she's not bringing it as a top tier fighter, but every week. Very clearly, this past weekend, BKFC was the was what we all thought the draw for for site views was going to be, because of Paige Van Zandt and Rachel Osovich, and that's over a former bantamweight champion versus literally the number one contender in Spencer's wrongly said best division in the sport. So, like, if she can <laughs> if she can at least make that draw competitive with that counter programming, she can sure as shit make people care about like. Denise Keelholtz or whatever for Bellator. Like, come on. She's getting signed wherever she wants to go. I think Bellator is a great fit. It's entirely whatever she wants to do next. What about Rachel Ostovich, Jed? I think she surprised a lot of people in there. We saw that we saw that fighter come out in a big way. Like she cracked Paige right away. Like within the opening seconds, she cracked her with the right hand and set the tone for the entire fight. And I feel like BKFC has got something with her because there's still some mystery to her. She's overcome a lot. Uh, and I think Rachel has something there too. Like, I feel like that dog that she truly is came out in that ring. And I know, you know, c compare the competition or whatever, be that as it may, but if you're David Feldman, are you taking the shot and doing what it takes to lock Rachel Ostovich down? Because at the end of the, the event at the press conference, she was asked, like, are you coming back? And she said, essentially, maybe. I don't know yet. Like, do you think we see her back in there once again? Do you think BKFC just kind of goes all in and tries to build her up as the next star? Uh, I say, yeah, I think she is going to come back because I, I think BKFC, I think that's a really natural fit for her. Uh, I think she has less of a career in MMA than Paige does. Uh, I, I think that she is just not as good an MMA fighter. She's clearly a better bare-knuckle boxer. Uh, the threshold there seems a lot lower, if we're being honest. Um, and they've they've got momentum with her now. I mean, Spencer mentioned you could do a fight with Beck Rollins, which would be really fun, probably actually do pretty well from a numbers perspective. Britton Hart also won on Friday. Um, that's a, a pretty logical next fight as well. I think they've just got some options. And so for sure, they should probably try and run with this ball as long as, as long as they can, they can carry it, you know, um, maybe, maybe the market for race Ostevich is, is bigger than I think it is, but I don't think it's enormous. And so I think that they can, they can get her to come back. They may have to spend a little more than maybe they would have thought, but I don't think they'll have to break the bank. And uh, I think that she is somebody that they can, they can work with. 
What do you think, Spencer? You think we'll see her back? Do you think uh, that win boosted her confidence enough where it's like, you know what? I'm home here. Like, I'm a bare knuckle fighter now. Yeah, I think it has to, right? I mean, it's weird to me that they didn't get something more long term right out of the gate just as a precautionary measure because now her price went up. Now her stock went up. She she got this win that not a lot of people expected and she looked great doing it. And so you have to go out and bring her back, even if it's for one more fight, two more fights, whatever it may be. You can't have her win that and then just bounce when you've invested this much time and energy and, and promotional material into Paige Van Zandt. Kudos to BKFC. Great event. A lot of fun. Probably need to invest in... Uh... You know, you can invest in fighters all you want, but probably need to invest in more security to stop people from jumping the rails and attacking rappers in the ring. Uh, and maybe not do the social influencer matches with boxing gloves on. Like that was kind of a weird thing that turned some people off. But uh, BKFC That's was weird. a big talking point over the weekend. What, Jed? That is very weird to do. A, the name of the promotion is Bare Knuckle FC and then have boxing gloves is, is pretty odd. Yeah, I think they, they kind of realized that right away. But I actually got more excited for those fights as they went on and then as the week went on and then the gloves came out and I was like, hmm, I don't know how this is going to go over. But that was this past weekend. We're going to move ahead to this weekend's action. The point for round two goes to... I got to give it to Jed for a, a couple of reasons. I thought he presented his arguments very well. And plus, he called me out and made me look like an idiot, and I got to take sure it on the did. chin. So, sure did. That's it. And uh, you know, hopefully, Zion Williamson is is doing okay after Friday night. Hope, but uh, hopefully, Zion Williamson gets in the BKFC ring because I'll tune in for that. I'll pay a lot of money to watch Zion Williamson in that. I can't believe that Zion Tomlinson. My apologies uh, to, to Mr. Tomlinson. I hope he's doing okay. That was a scary scene on Friday night, but. Uh, Look, and I know we typically do this on the show, but we're not going to do it this week because there's no need to. We're not going to play the UFC versus Bellator comparison game this weekend due to them going head to head. Because let's be honest, there is no competition here. There are certainly some interesting matchups on the UFC Vegas 33 card, but top to bottom from main event down. If I'm only watching one and I don't think I'm alone here, it's Bellator. And this one isn't even close in my eyes. The main event, of course. For the featherweight title, Patricio Pitbull versus AJ McKee, Grand Prix finale, million bucks on the line. The storylines are there. It's just good stuff. The press conference is out of control towards the end. Spencer, we're going to begin with you. I'm going to do it this way. In three words or less, how would you describe this fight between Pitbull and McKee? And then you could explain why using, well, more than three words. Three words. Best this summer. It is. I mean, this is the fight that we all hoped for when this tournament was announced 37 years ago. Um, it's the fight that we got. We're all happy to see it. It's the fight that it's the perfect fight for Bellator too. And I think that's for me, what makes it that next little bit, even more compelling because no matter who wins this, this is terrific for Bellator. If AJ McKee wins, you've got a young champion, you do an immediate rematch. And if he wins both, then you're off and running with this undefeated superstar. And if Pitbull wins, then you're, then we're really having to have the conversations about is he the greatest featherweight in the world right now and where does he fit sort of in those all-time ranks? And that's not something we do very often with Bellator and their champions. And so to me, this is a fight that everybody has been looking forward to since it came together. It is absolutely the best fight of this weekend. It is the best fight 
to me on paper for the whole summer. And it is a fight that, I mean, if you like this sport, you are tuning into this, even if you are the most diehard UFC loyalists. Jed, what are your three words and why? Mm. Or less. I spent a lot of, I just spent the whole time Spencer's talking, trying to think. I'm going to say this, and I know it's immediately going to make me lose the round. Dope, but overrated. Ooh. Why? Yeah. There's the spice. Yeah. Uh, look, maybe this is me being better because uh, this fight cost me uh, my BTL championship or tag team titles. I don't remember which one it was. I have so many championships on this, <laughs> on this show. Uh, but don't get me wrong. This is easily the best fight of the weekend. Like, it is not close. Uh, my issues here with the fight are – I actually think the in-cage product isn't going to be that cool. Everything else about this fight's great. The storylines are tremendous. I think we'll probably end up looking back on this as uh, the high watermark for Bellator, you know, in this five-year stretch or whatever. This is this is everything they do, like, or that they want to do at, at its, like, best. They have the greatest fighter in Bellator history taking on this super prospect, the guy who everybody thinks is the next dude, like everything from a storyline, it fits perfectly. I've watched a lot of tape on both of these guys, uh, you know, because I was getting excited about the fight. And I think Pitbull is just going to wipe the floor with him. And I don't think that it's going to be like that fun to watch. And if I'm wrong, then I'm be like, I'm like way wrong because if – Basically, this is a two-outcome fight. Like, if Pitbull wins, it's great, right? It's, you know, it's a coronating moment for this guy. We're not going to have the conversations, is he the best featherweight in the world, like Spencer said, because he's not. Like, he's not Alexander Volkanovsky or Max Holloway, who both beat the shit out of him. Um, but he's third. You know, he's behind those two dudes. He's really good featherweight, and that'll be great. But then it's a bit of a – there's a big letdown right after the immediate high of, ah, this whole awesome thing came together and Pitbull rightfully stands atop. And then it's, okay, well, what the hell now? If AJ McKee wins, we do get the Pitbull rematch will happen, guaranteed. And then that opens a lot of really interesting, fun doors. But like I said, I don't think it's going to happen. I just – I don't think AJ McKee has – has the. I just don't think he can win. Like he could – but I think he's still a couple of years away from being his best and he needs to be at his best to beat Pitbull. Like I think Pitbull is the third best featherweight in the world behind two unbelievably good guys. And so I think we're all coming into this with a lot of expectation and the fight, I, I don't think is going to live up to it. And last thing I'll say, I'd like a lot better if Bellator hadn't just shit the bed on this one, man. Like, this should be the event you build. All roads should lead to Bellator 263, man. Like, this should be a card of cards stacked to the gills and just going at it. And the coming of it's Mads Burnell. And, like, I like Mads Burnell, but come on. That dude should maybe not even be on your main card. You should have some gas behind this. And instead, they are just making this a standalone fight. And that's just kind of trash because like when you said at the beginning we don't do the comparison show if you take the top two fights off these are the these are identical bad regional MMA cards like they're not good so it's 
you know, a lot of things have brought me down on it. I'm still pumped. Like I'm still going to tune in Saturday. Uh, I hope I'm wrong and that the fight delivers everything we want it to be, but I just think we're probably going to get a really clear winner and it's the winner that would be the, not the least fun necessarily, but that creates the, the least fun outcomes from it, if that makes sense. So you feel that the best thing for business coming out of this fight is AJ McKee winning. Oh, 100%. That's the best thing for business. If, if AJ McKee wins, they get to do the immediate rematch. That's a, that's a big story um, right there. There's a lot of juice behind that. Then if, if Pitbull wins that, there's a trilogy. We're set up. If not, then AJ McKee has won twice. Now AJ McKee is 26, 27, whatever he is at that, uh, at that point. Um, he's the guy. You start building around him and you – you break the bank to bring in like legitimate challengers for him, however you can get them, uh, and figure out how to develop this kid because he's got all the makings of a star. If Pitbull wins, Pitbull's beat everyone there, everyone in two divisions. Like there's nobody from the fight except for just rehashing W's he's already gotten. So again, it's a crowning achievement. It's a tremendous victory if Pitbull wins. But if he wins, the conversation will immediate almost immediately turn to Okay, so can he just like Michael Chandler his way out and go fight in the UFC because we don't want to watch him fight Brent Primus or uh, whoever the hell else he's going to have to fight featherweight again? Like it's, I think it's a, unquestionably the worst outcome for for promotion is Pitbull winning, and uh, unfortunately for Bellator, I, I think that's very likely to happen. You agree with that, Spencer? Do you feel like? I'm not saying the promotion's rooting for AJ McKee, but do you feel like the best thing for business is AJ McKee beating Patricio Pitbull on Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. It, it creates the most outcomes. I absolutely love Jed's ability to just dismiss the MMA community's willingness to have conversations and discussions that we know aren't factually true and aren't realistic, but to have them passionately anyways. If Pitbull wins this, there are going to be myriad conversations about is he the best featherweight in the world? I agree that he's not, and it's stupid and a waste of time, but they are going to happen. And I don't know that, I mean, I disagree that it's going to be one-way traffic. I think AJ McKee is, just might be that guy that, yeah, he hasn't reached his peak yet, but where he's at right now is really good. And, and if he goes out and wins this fight, it is absolutely the best thing because of all the things that, that we've both stated already. You get the rematch, maybe a trilogy fight down the road. You get this 26, 27-year-old undefeated fighter to build around going forward, to, to grab that torch from the guy that has carried the brand for the last seven, eight years, if not longer. I agree that this should have been a bigger card. Um, in terms of who Pitbull fights, if he does win this, he fights Mads Burnell if Mads Burnell wins. That's why Mads Burnell is in the co-main event. I agree that it's not necessarily the most glamorous main event, but that's why he's there. Like that's Case what closed right there. Un unfortunately, Emmanuel Sanchez if Emmanuel Sanchez beats him, we are getting yet another Bellator redux, which is just but that's just kind of what Bellator is, right? It's the way Strike Force was, it's what Scott Coker does. He thinks about the here and now. And the worry about later is a future Scott Coker problem, and he'll address it down the road. So at least we might get Mads Burnell as a number one contender for Pitbull if each of them win on, on Saturday night. When, when you're hoping, 
when you are hoping <laughs> for a Mads Burnell title challenge, he's not going Japanese necktie pimple. Like, God, Bellator is so I, close to like they're so close to having. I and fully Scott agree. Just can't, can't quite get there. Like he's he. But is that was strike force too, right? Like that. Wide. That was strike force during strike forces prime during its rise, whatever it was. You had two or three fights at the top that you were like, this is awesome, but I'm not sure where it leads. And then two months down the road, you were like, we didn't lead anywhere. What, what did we get to? Where are the, You had a bunch of squash matches with great prospects. They got to a certain point that they got steamrolled. And then we were just kind of every couple of months, we figured out something new again. It's what's happening in Bellator. It's worked out okay for them because they've gotten – at least in this tournament, right? It's worked out. They've gotten what they wanted. They've built some guys. AJ McKee is an absolutely homegrown product through and through every fight in his career in Bellator. And maybe Scott Coker isn't wishing and hoping that he wins, but I'm sure some people in the organization are. Oh, oh, Last oh Scott Coker. Scott Coker. Scott Coker. Scott Coker probably wishes he wins too. Can't say it out loud because <laughs> yeah. you can't do that. But yeah, Scott Coker Scott, probably wishes he wins. Hopes he wins too. Scott Coker is very clearly like, yeah, hmm, I can either get a Pitbull McKee rematch or I can get Pitbull versus Mads Burnell. Ooh, this is a difficult promotional choice for me. <laughs> well, I have a feeling Pitbull's probably- going back up to fifty-five, anyways. Who's he gonna fight there? They have like three fifty-fivers too. Bellator needs like four more good fighters in every division because they're like they don't need the seven hundred or whatever like enormous roster that the UFC has, but they need just like a few more to keep it from being super stale. Because like if if Emmanuel Sanchez wins and Pitbull has to defend the featherweight belt at some point, that please God no, I just don't need that fight again. Like, do anything else. They just need a couple other good people in every division because it is kind of cool to know, like, if you if you sign with Bellator for five fights, you can comfortably say, I'm going to fight every good person in that division <laughs> because everybody does fight everybody, and that's neat because that doesn't happen in the UFC. But it also gets a little repetitive. We need They need just a little bit more spice to uh, to make things fun. Or else we're going to have Pitbull Mads Brunel at Bellator 273, and we're going to do 50 people in traffic that weekend. Well, listen, that's not uh, – I, I forgot something that Casey just DM'd me about. Bellator already booked a number one contender fight at 145 pounds between Adam Boric and J.J. Wilson. So there you go. It's not going to be Mads Brunel. That's at least – I mean, neither of those are super interesting for whoever wins this, but they are different. So that's good. Yeah, listen, and I understand what they're trying to do with this card. This is a this is a star-making kind of a card. Like, they're trying to build up people. Like, I actually, I really like the Emmanuel Sanchez-Bads Burnell fight. I think that's going to be super fun. We that's get to see Usman Namagamadoff yeah, Usman Namagamadoff is on this card. I mean, they're trying yeah. to build him up. Against Manny Murrow, who's a tough dude. He's the upside kid. Brent Primus is all sorts of pissed off. I spoke with him the other day. He's all sorts of mad. He's fighting Islam Mabadov, who is legit as hell. And then Goichi Yamauchi versus Chris Gonzalez is interesting. So I mean, listen, we, we understand those what they're trying to do here. Good. Those fights are those fights are five fights too high on the card. That should be your bottom section of the fights. Here are the young, interesting prospects 
all that stuff. And then you should just have Ryan Bader. He's booked against somebody, I think. I don't know. Just put some people who people give a shit about, even if they're old and decrepit. Like, just bolster this with names instead of the bottom of it being uh, Georgie Karakanian's fighting. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, Joshua Jones. I don't know that person by name. Uh, it's unfortunate. Joshua Jones is a very, very forgettable name. Jonathan I can't pronounce that last name without sounding awful. He's three and four. That guy just shouldn't be on the card at all. <laughs> like, let's just do a little better, Bellator, because you could. I I want to care about them so much. You know this, Mike, and they keep just not rewarding it. All right, let's wrap with this, because this fight has been called, between Peron Spell, between Patricia Pitbull and AJ McKee, the biggest fight in Bellator history. This is certainly the biggest fight Bellator can make right now. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But Spencer, I know we're we're diving deep into the Bellator, you know, archives here. Is this, in your opinion, from what you've seen covering the sport for all these years, do you feel that this is the biggest fight in Bellator history coming up on Saturday? No, I don't think it is just because it is very much the best they can do right now. And it's it's terrific right now. But I don't think it has the same pull that some of the other big fights did. Like, look, it, it didn't turn out great, but Fedor fighting in New York City was a bigger fight. It was a bigger deal. This is a huge fight to us within the community that, like, are hardcore crazy, love everything about, and have tracked every step of AJ McKee's development, and will be the people having that ridiculous argument if Pitbull wins that he's the best featherweight in the world. But on the whole, I would say there's fights like some of Fedor's fights. I think the Eddie Alvarez, Michael Chandler series were bigger fights. But for right now and for going forward, maybe this has the potential to be a true kind of landmark milestone moment for the promotion. What do you think, Jed? Where where does this one rank in the all-time biggest fights in Bellator history? Uh, I, I mean, I think it's... Like I said, I think this is probably going to be considered a high watermark for the organization for the past couple of years, certainly. For me, it's it's not the top one. For me, um, hold on, I'm looking it up. Bellator 221. Pitbull Chandler, that that's their best. That that's it. Like that is that fight essentially was for the title of greatest fighter in promotional history. Uh Michael Chandler and Patricio Pitbull are Bellator MMA. Like that's they just are. Um, that fight had a lot of also similar, really good, really interesting storylines coming into it. Uh, the KO, uh, the KO was clean, but at, in real time, it felt a little wonky. So that maybe like took some of the sting off it, but I think Bellator 221, I mean, uh, also the co-main event was dope. And that was a way, way cooler co-main event than the one we're getting this weekend. Uh, AJ McKee was on that card. He fought Pat Kern, former champion. Like, I think they built that card a lot better. I think that card meant a lot more uh, historically and kind of for the future of the sport. I mean, basically, if you look at the ripple effect from that, uh, that is the event that allowed Michael Chandler to leave and come to the UFC, basically. Once he lost the belt, I think it was kind of written that Michael Chandler was, was moving on. Uh, and now Pitbull is where Pitbull is. So uh, for me, I think Bellator 221, that's that's the high watermark for them as, as an organization. Fair enough. I'm looking forward to 
to this one for sure. I, I, I think I like the main card more than both of you guys do, but uh, the main event's great. Press conference got heated. You could check out that clip on MMA Fighting's YouTube page and on our site. Good stuff. As we move to the final question of regulation, the point for round three goes to... We're flip-flopping here. Spencer Kite, up two to one, heading into the final question of regulation. Good round. I knew when I one. said it was overrated, I wouldn't get in points. But you had a, you had a compelling it. argument. So it went from Can't like a 10-6 to a 10-9. So there you go. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Uh, so listen, we talked a lot about Bellator here, but the UFC is also going to have a card on Saturday. It's kind of overshadowed by Bellator 263. Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland, the main event at 185 pounds. Certainly an interesting fight. I think it's good matchmaking for where these guys are at in their career. But this main event is going going up against Pitbull versus McKee. Tough ask for sure. So Jed, let's start with you. Do we have big stakes in this fight between Hall and Strickland? Like, are you ready to say that whoever wins this fight, we're going to be on this show next week talking about, you know what? This guy's a title contender now. We have like two ounce stakes. This isn't even a six ounce fillet. This is, there are no stakes here. This is, this is ground beef is what this is. This, this will get the job done, but it, it's not something you are pumped about. This fight is a perfectly fine fight. It is shocking to me that this is headlining an event. Uh, um, I know it's not the worst main event we've ever had, but it's it's probably the worst this year, unless I'm just unless I just blanked one entirely from my memory. Like Uriah Hall is, I don't have ways to talk about him that aren't super mean. <laughs> So that's just what this is going to be is me just being super mean to your eye all great. He's on the best win streak of his career. It is the so much smoke and mirrors like, okay, he knocked out Bevan Lewis. Great. Bevan Lewis is not very good at fighting. He's like, fine, whatever. Uh, he won a split decision that he maybe shouldn't have won against Shoeface, who is not in the UFC anymore. <laughs> uh, he beat Anderson Silva. In the year of our Lord, 2020, like that's, that's just not a thing. Like he also took a long time to beat Anderson Silva in 2020. If it was a three round fight, 
he would not have finished 47 going on 63-year-old Anderson Silva and then the Chris Weidman tragedy. Like, this is – on paper, if this was six years ago, that resume is dope as hell. Right now, it just looks better than it is. He's not a real – he is – He's he is the definition of wolf tickets, like, and Sean Strickland. I got a lot of love in my heart for Sean Strickland. Like Sean Strickland is a he's a fun, interesting prospect. He's also a uh, fun. Actually, might be a bit of a stretch. Um, he's an interesting prospect in that he is clearly very good at fighting. Like he he has a composed game that works well in the current MMA meta game. But like. His move at his move to middleweight was good for him objectively, but it's not like he's blown the doors off great competition. Like he won workmanlike decisions over Christoph Jocko, who's a solidish dude, and Brendan Allen, who's a solidish dude. Like this is clearly I would you just sort of have to say it's a step up in competition for him. But at the same time, Uriah Hall is the sort of dude who could lose to anybody. Like he could just mentally implode and may well happen on saturday like no the short answer here is no we're not talking about a title challenger here if sean strickland wins we're talking okay sean strickland putting together a good run let's see him against an actual like good middleweight and if your hall wins it's like hey we we still need to see you beat somebody who's who's good not not an old person who needs to retire or a guy who has been a welterweight until last year. Like, we need you to beat Kelvin Gastelum, who, I, again, I don't even think Kelvin Gastelum's good, mind you, but at least that's a better win than he has on his current resume. So, yeah, this uh, fight doesn't matter outside of to the participants in it. It matters a lot to them. But I'm really glad we have Bellator this weekend, even if the Bellator card's not great, because that's something I can look forward to, whereas this card just – it just is. What do you think, Spencer? What's at stake here? Is there anything at stake here for these guys? I think first and foremost that if I ever get into legal trouble that Jed can help me with, I am calling him fast as I can. My one phone call is going to Jed Mashu because <laughs> his oh, ability – his ability to argue his points while ignoring other information and just kind of leaving stuff aside to make his case is amazing. He's got the he's got the charm, he's got the drawl, he just plays it out nicely. I I'm think there are stakes. Look, dude, you're saying that Uriah Hall, yes, year of our Lord 2020, fought and beat Anderson Silva. Do you know who didn't finish Anderson Silva in five rounds? The damn middleweight champ Israel Adesanya, who wouldn't even engage with him for the most part, just kind of stood there with him. I was three rounds champ. I don't care. He didn't do any <laughs> of the things that Uriah Hall did. Uriah Hall Uriah, didn't finish didn't finish Anderson in three rounds either. <laughs> he still went out to me and looked much better than Izzy did against Anderson Silva. As for Sean Strickland, you say the move up to middleweight was a good move for him. It's a move back to middleweight. This is a point for me that is like one of those things that drives me insane. Sean Strickland started his career 15-0 at middleweight. His first two fights in the UFC were at middleweight, where he beat, you know, tough guys in Luke Barnett and Bubba McDaniel. Then he goes down to welterweight. He wins a couple. He loses three, but all to really good competition. And he's come back up and won three straight since coming back. If he was just an 18-0 middleweight, 
regardless of the fact that he is just a fundamental kind of technical meat and potatoes fighter, we'd be really excited about this guy added to the fact that he's kind of a loose cannon when you put a microphone in front of him, but instead he's got that middleweight misadventure and we kind of lose sight of the fact that at middleweight, this dude's legit. And if he goes out and beats Uriah Hall, that moves him into that range that Jed is saying you've got to beat one of these guys. And you shouted out Kelvin Gastelum as the guy that you got to go out and beat, as if Kelvin Gastelum is somebody in the year of our Lord 2021 that holds great sway in this division. And so to me, this is, it may be, it's, it's certainly not going to determine the next middleweight title contender, but it puts one of these guys in range of fighting somebody in the top five. Like this division is kind of a mess right now because Israel Adesanya has been so good and because we've had sort of the top of the division cannibalize itself with Robert Whitaker fighting everybody and beating everybody and, and ending up where we're ending up later this year with those two running it back. But whoever wins this is in the mix and they're very much close. I think it can be an entertaining fight. I know that Jed thinks that Uriah Hall is going to potentially implode this weekend and think that he's mentally weak. I've talked to him throughout this run. He sounds like a dude and, and talking to his coaches as well. All the stuff that used to bother him, he's put behind him. All the mentally weak stuff that he admits to, I had fear. I wasn't confident. I didn't believe the stuff that others believed in me. He believes now, and I think he can go out and have a great performance. And if Sean Strickland beats this version of Uriah Hall, I'm very much interested in seeing what he does next. I think the stakes are, I mean, I know we talked about, you know, what's next for Luke Rockhold, but I feel like the winner of this fight could fight Luke Rockhold next. I feel like that's the, that's what's at stake here, but be that as it may Spencer, as, as on the show, as you saw a couple weeks ago, we like to dig deep. We like to find diamonds in the rough on these cards. Low key banger time, UFC Vegas 33. What fight are you circling on your card that isn't getting a lot of attention that just got you all sorts of fired up? In the absolutely fabulous bantamweight division, early in the night, <laughs> so long before Jed wants to start paying attention to Bellator, pay attention to Ronnie Lawrence versus Trevin Jones. Ronnie Lawrence looked good coming off the contender series. He looked even better in his debut against Vince Cachero. He's down at Sanford MMA. Good-looking fighter, does everything pretty well. He's got a nice, well-rounded game. And Trevin Jones is just this dude that is knocking people out. Yes, the first win got overturned because they called him on like six days' notice and he had weed in his system. And so his win over Timur Valiev has been turned into a no contest. But then he followed that up by going out and knocking out Mario Batista, who had had a couple of good wins. He did that 40 seconds into the second round. And looks like one of those guys that he's either going to go out there and knock you into next week, or he's going to battle you tough right to the bitter end. And against the kid in, in Ronnie Lawrence that I think has some interesting potential in a terrific division, it's one I'm paying attention to at the start of the night. Jed, I'm trying to, uh, to look on this card. I don't see any weight classes that begin with a two here. So this is, this, is, this is something you're going to have to dig a little deeper on, my friend. Which one sticks out to you? Although I thought Spencer's was a, was a very good choice. I mean, you're right. No, no twos. There's the only 185, which is another, another go-to division, uh, is the main event. And that's not, that's not even a high-profile banger. That's just a fight uh, that we're all going to watch. Uh, for me, I think 
I want to be clear. I totally knew that Spencer was going to take it. The minute he told that lie about Bantamweight being better than Lightweight, I was like, oh, I bet he's really into this Trevin Jones fight then. So I guess I'll steer away from that one. Because I agree, that fight's actually going to be really fun. Um, but in lieu of that, uh, I have two answers. And the first one, I'm just going to throw a real quick shout out uh, to Chris Grutzmacher, uh, Hoffa Garcia, because both of those guys are fairly fun fighters uh it's in the actual best division in the sport uh which is 155 <laughs> they're just so we're super super clear 155 much better than every other division by like a million miles uh Pablo garcia is 12 and 1 um he's i think he's got a little something there and uh chris uh chris guts macker is sort of a hard-nosed dude been around the block a little bit um and that's probably going to be a good scrap but if we're just going for funsies just just for the fun of it how do you not pick bam bam brian barbarena is fighting jason witt jason witt not very good at fighting but what he's good at he's good at winning or losing in really fun ways he's got three his two losses were like sub 60 seconds he got bolted and he got bolted and then in his one win arm triangle brian barbarena is a guy who is really fun no matter who he's fighting. He's probably going to find a way to lose to Jason Witt at first and then just <laughs> overcome it to then bolt Jason Witt in like the second or third round. Uh, one of the toughest dudes alive, Brian Barbarina, is always must-watch television, so that's easily my choice. And it's a welterweight, which is maybe not as good as bantamweight, but it's it's in the conversation for second-best division at least. I like both of your answers. Just think of some of the fights we lost on this card. Yeah, We lost Durahimov versus Chris Dawkins. I believe it's now been shuffled to a, a third oh, different event. Ronnie Lawrence was... Me, Mike. I bet. Sam Alvey, Roman Kapilov. Ronnie Lawrence was supposed to fight John Castaneda. That still would have been a crazy-ass fight. Asker Askarov versus Alex Perez was supposed to be on this card. Now Alex Perez fight. is fighting Matt Schnell next month. Uh, Duho Choi was supposed to fight on this card against Danny Chavez, but Chavez remains on the card. He's going to fight Kai Kamaka, which is still a really good fight. So we lost, we, we lost some good ones. We lost some good ones, but listen, lots of MMA to consume on Saturday, get your two computer screens or television screens ready. And, or you can just hit the old last button and go back and forth, but we'll have you covered right here on MMA fighting across the board as we award this final regulation point. And it's a big one folks. And it goes to. In an absolutely shocking development, <laughs> we're going to the knockout round. Jed Mishu ties it up. Bam, this has bam, never bam, happened. Unprecedented. I mean, no matter what happened, I just want to. I want to. I want more. And I feel like this question is just so perfect because of what I've seen uh -oh. earlier today. But one uh -oh. question will decide it all. And I will. I will say this was not the question I was going to go with. Who am I going to make? But due to some. Now? Due to some social media discussions earlier today, we're going to go ahead and change things up. So each of these individuals will have one minute to respond to said question, and then we're going to turn it over to a very busy man, E. Casey Lydon, who is at the Bellator press conference, flew all the way back just to produce this program. He will render the final decision. So Spencer, you, sir, have the champion's prerogative. Do you want to go first, or do you want to pass it on over to Jed Mishu? Go ahead, counselor. <laughs> all right 
this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. So, Jed Mishu, we begin with you. Earlier today, we were, we confirmed a report from ESPN. Amanda Nunes tests positive for COVID-19. The Bantamweight title fight scheduled for next weekend's UFC 265 card between Nunes and Juliana Pena will not be happening. It's being postponed until a later date that we do not know yet. So the main event for the interim heavyweight title is still on top between Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon. Not sure which one of these prelim fights is getting the bump up, but maybe we can decide that here. But the question is, Jed, how big of a hit did this card take losing Nunez versus Pena? And what do you grade it on paper right now without that fight? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. That's a really complicated question. From a straight number standpoint, it probably didn't take a hit at all. Um, Man, Nunez just isn't a draw. That's, I've written about this. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, when she's put in good positions, i.e. against Ronda Rousey or on UFC 200, she can draw a million, million pay-per-view buys. Uh, in her other fights that aren't those situations, she's barely breaking six digits. So from a number standpoint, we really didn't lose much. And there's a reason that Lewis Ganes for, for an interim title. And it's not because they really want to give these guys a belt. It's because they want them to headline the event. They think that's going to do the numbers. So from that standpoint, not losing a lot. From a fan standpoint, I mean, it, anytime you lose the greatest female fighter of all time, card takes a hit. Like, she's going to beat the doors off Juliana Pena. Like, that's not going to be competitive in the slightest. But I'll still watch that woman go to work any day of the week. So that sucks. Fortunately, the rest of this card's really good. I'll give it a B plus and I'll need co-main event. Jose Aldo, baby, all day. All right, a B plus. All right, same question. Spencer, you were sort of the catalyst behind this question. <laughs> How big of a hit did UFC 265 take today? What is the grade on paper now? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. It certainly took a hit because, as Jed said, when you lose the GOAT, that's never a good thing. I'm I'm in the same boat. You want to let me watch the greatest female fighter in the history of this sport compete? I don't care who she's fighting. I'm tuning in. She is that good. She is that dominant. I want to see it because when she's gone, we're going to think, oh, man, I wish Amanda Nunes was still here wrecking people. In terms of the overall card, it's still terrific. And, and yeah, I was the catalyst for this because a bunch of people were like, oh, this fight card isn't that good to begin with. And I think, what are you, crazy? Like, look at the rest of this card. Take away everybody's objection to an interim title being on the line. Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gaon is still a tremendous heavyweight fight. We have Jose Aldo against Pedro Munoz. Absolute banger. We have Mike Chiesa against the violent violence merchant Vincente Luque. Awesome. Sonia Dong, somebody, everybody was in on this kid until he loses to Kyler Phillips. Now we have to pretend like he's nothing. This is still a great card. It is one of the better main cards of the year to me. It is an A card. All right. We got B plus for Jed Mishu. A solid A for Spencer Kite. Now we turn it over to an A plus, in my opinion. E, Casey Lydon, the best judge in the business, who is going to render this decision. It's going to make sure that I don't have to feel the pressure of this decision. And don't forget, Casey will be on site in Inglewood for the weigh-ins, all that fun stuff. So tune in. It'll be on site for Bellator 263. We're going to do like a dual preview show tomorrow as well. I don't know when that's happening, but it's happening tomorrow. So we have a lot to discuss. We're just getting started here. So Casey, we turn it over to you, my friend. Who wins? Is it the returning Jed Mishu or the reigning 
the reigning winner. I, I, I guess we'll call him the interim champion. I, we know Phoenix Carnavale still holds the title. But we're going to have to do something about this. She might just be like the grand champion at the end of the day. But we have to like move this division forward. So who wins? You can cut it with a knife. Okay. Uh, well, well, I need help. I need help here. What, what are the people in the comments saying? Yes. Oh, man. All right, all right, all right, all right. No what one, are the peeps saying? No one No one even mentioned Manel Cape. That would have been an instant win. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. I made my decision. You're a winner. Because it is the greatest division men's bantamweight, East Spencer Kite. Ah, oh, there you go. Spencer. It was objectively false. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the fact that you clearly just didn't rule on this last round, it's objectively <laughs> false. <laughs> uh, Spencer does it again. He is, he is, he he is two and zero. Oh. He knows how to play the game, Jed. He knows how to play the game. Remember what we started with about Dean Thomas and TJ Dillashaw played the game correctly. If you paid attention to Twitter, I said I was coming here to manipulate judges. I understand yeah. what I'm doing here. Two and zero. I'm coming back next week to defend this title again. The shower right. more praise on Casey and his that mustache. That. I'll probably shout out the Panda Dojo. I'll shout out Fezzik. <laughs> I know how to do this. I'm coming. I'm not going anywhere. Put a two up in that win column. Happy to be here. <laughs> Alex Kaylee, get your get your get your get your things right and get back here. You said you wanted more. Come and get more. There we go. Now we got a triple threat match. We got we got two guys from the MMA fighting staff looking to get it back for the website. And Jed Mishu, clearly, you know, you, you took some time off. You brought your A game. You were, you hit the refresh button and you came back on the the wrong end of a decision. How do you, how do you feel about what just transpired here? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, you have a lot of losses up there. The, the truth is, I've lost to one person. It's Casey. It's, I've, I've only ever lost to Casey. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 19 and one. That one just happens a lot. So, so I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, I like Spencer's answer. He recognizes that I'm the Corey Sandhagen in this situation. And uh, I think we're good. Everybody's in the in the same, same happy little boat. We all understand the lay of the land here. You know, it is what it is to, to take Max Holloway's line. It is what it is. So we got Spencer at 2-0. Jed believes he's 31-1 and right now. So, I mean, no, I'm that, just 19-1. Just 19-1. He's 19-1-12 with 12 no contests? No, just, just the one. Only one person has defeated me. So that's <laughs> just the one person has defeated me. So if we can take 19 say, down yeah. to like 12, how many different people I've put the boots to. We find we that say, as well. We used to say Joseph Benavides was was unbeaten and then was beaten everybody except Dominic Cruz and 
Dominic Cruz was the one guy. Casey's the one no, guy. Jed, Jed Johnson also beat him. I twice. know, but initially, but Jed, Jed, the, Casey's yeah. the one guy Jed can't beat. And I've figured yeah, out how it, to play to Casey. It's really unfortunate that the one guy I can't beat, I have to play every week. Like that's, <laughs> that's very tough. If I got some new blood in there, oh, I guess two because Sean made a guest appearance <laughs> to intentionally sabotage me one week. But I don't count that as real because that was obviously stage chicanery. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, I like I said, I'm just here for the fans. I'm out here swinging away. Uh, I was clearly right about everything I said, and at some point the champ will come back. Like like Brock Lesnar, just once a year, just showing up at a big important event and defending the belt, and then off into the ether again. So, in the meantime, I'll just be here putting in the work. Juice out there of your mind, yeah. To the gills. Speaking of Brock Lesnar, next week we'll once again turn chicken salad and chicken shit into chicken <laughs> salad right here on Between the Links. That's what we do here. We're out of here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're watching and listening after the fact, we appreciate it. We'll see you back here once again next week. Between the Links for Jed, for Spencer, for Casey on the production on the ones and twos. I am Mike Heck, the iconic voice of Esterlin takes you home. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. This has been Between the Links. I'm Esterlin. Hey, kid. I'm trying to read the outro. Hey, respect my voice. I'm Esterlin. Respect me. Respect me. All right, we're off. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.